We turn in God's inspired word this evening once again to the gospel according to John, chapter 13 this evening, John 13. We're going to read the first 17 verses and that really is our text this evening, that entire section, John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being now ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord. And ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have in this passage a remarkable manifestation of the love of Jesus, the love of God for his own, his chosen disciples. It's a love rooted in his love for the Father. Truly the zeal of his father's house consumed him and motivated him in all that he did. The passage that we consider tonight takes place the night before Jesus would be crucified on Calvary's cross. Jesus and his disciples were gathered together in the upper room in Jerusalem for the purpose of eating the Passover feast. 
the plan for his being delivered into the hands of his enemies by that traitorous disciple, Judas Iscariot, was fast developing, and Jesus was fully aware of it. That the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus, was clearly before the mind of Christ. Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. And he knew that the way he would depart would be through the deep billows of the suffering of God's eternal wrath. And yet he's resolved to go that way of amazing obedience. And in this setting, we find in Luke's gospel account, in Luke 22, verse 24, that the disciples argued among themselves which of them should be the greatest. Their argument was proof that they did not yet understand the nature of true greatness in the kingdom of God. So different is the kingdom of Christ that its greatness is found in a humility so profound that it's incomprehensible to the human mind. He is the greatest who is least of all and servant of all. I am among you as he that doth serve, said Jesus. And that means that to attain to any degree of greatness, you must have fellowship with this king who humbled himself and took upon him the form of a servant. By faith, you must fellowship with the humiliation and sufferings of him who came not to minister to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many, Mark 10, verse 45. So to that gospel of our salvation, I call attention this evening under the theme, the foot washing. We notice, first of all, the amazing humility in this act. Secondly, we notice its marvelous significance and finally, the profound example given us in this work of Christ. The amazing humility in this act, the marvelous significance, and the profound example. Let's notice, first of all, that amazing humility in this act of washing the disciples' feet. Foot washing was a common custom, but it was a job performed by the lowliest servants, often slaves. But in that upper room, there were only the 12 disciples with Jesus. And when they had prepared the room, they had supplied the, the water and the basin and the towels, all the equipment necessary for the washing of feet, which was customary. 
But the servant necessary to perform such menial tasks wasn't seen. Nowhere to be found. There was none other than themselves the present. The twelve disciples and Jesus, they were the only ones there who would perform that undesirable task of washing the filthy feet of those who walked on dusty roads wearing open sandals. Not one of the twelve was willing to stoop so low as to be a servant to others. They were arguing about who should be the greatest. And not only were these twelve individuals from different backgrounds, but you see that the ambition of them all was to have a place of honor where others could serve them in the, in the earthly kingdom that was their own conception. So it was in such circumstances with the bickering of his disciples and his own inward intense suffering with the full agonies of body and soul being just hours away, Jesus stood up to show his disciples and all the generations of the church to show by example the mystery of God in the flesh and the profound nature of his earthly ministry. We read in verses 4 and 5, He riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. How that sets forth the, the condescension of our Savior. Because notice, this was, this was not in a moment when his own infinite glory was clouded to his own mind. We read Jesus did so knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he was come from God and went to God. Don't overlook that, which gives us the setting. He alone knew the height from which he stooped so low as to wash his disciples' feet. He into whose hands the Father had committed all things. He who came from God was about to return to God. He who is fully aware of all this shows himself a servant and washes the feet of men, sinful men, publicans and sinners. And though his disciples did not yet understand these things, Jesus declares to them that 
so he must become the lowliest servant in order to cleanse them from their sin and set them in heavenly places. So by this event, he shows to them and to us the gospel of our salvation and points to the application of that gospel. The meaning of this action is is easily understood in the light of the scriptures by us who stand on this side of Pentecost and have the spirit of Christ. This action of Christ was a vivid illustration of what constitutes the essence of his suffering at the cross. He says here, I, your Lord and Master, King of Kings, cleanse you and must from all your sins in the blood that I'm about to shed for you. This menial labor which he undertook, though indeed real and lowly and dirty, was symbolic of the labor that he was about to perform to save us from our sins. He who is in the form of God, clothed with the glories of the Godhead, emptied himself, laid aside his glory insofar as it could be laid aside so that there was no appearance of a king, And he humbled himself, stooping to the lowest office. And he did so in order to show that they, his disciples, and all of us, must be washed should we have a part in his kingdom. And from that point of view, we find symbolism in the various elements of of this scene, just as in baptism, the water pointed to Jesus' blood. And the dust that was clinging to the feet of the disciples was a fitting picture of their depravity and the sins of their nature that clung to them as they cling to us. The guilt and filth in which they had been conceived and born and which came to expression in them in all sorts of sin. And as Jesus poured that water into the basin, so would he pour out his life and provide himself for their cleansing. He would do the actual washing. And so would he, their Lord and Savior, serve them and all his people that they, as cleansed, might show forth the praises of God forever. When Jesus Christ went to Golgotha and to the cross of Calvary, he suffered the agonies of God's eternal wrath as the slave of his people. And this he would tell his disciples beforehand. 
And although they don't understand what he does, they will understand later when as the exalted Christ, he returns to them in his Holy Spirit and leads them into all truth. And then they will understand and shame will cover their faces as they think about their petty little arguments of who among them would be the greatest. That they would remember their corrupt ambition and covetousness for position and power. They will despise their sins as they never had before. And to the glory of God the Father, Christ will rise before their minds against the dark background of their own carnality and they will see the glory of his love and obedience and they will rejoice with joy unspeakable. How great is the love of God seen in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the gospel of this amazing humility. He who knew no sin became sin for his people. And the only explanation is God's unspeakable love. So we read in verse 1. When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He loved us with the love of God, that he might be glorified in all the works of his hands. There's no other reason for him to stoop so low as to wash the feet of his disciples. No other reason for the one in whom is the fullness of the Godhead bodily to go through the suffering of the cross and the agonies of hell for us. There can't be found in us one thing deserving of that love. Christ went to the cross. My servant. But such amazing humility the disciples simply couldn't comprehend. They couldn't understand this. Not at this time. And yet, can we? Really? Can we comprehend the love of Christ as the revelation of God's love toward us? Not only is this an act of amazing humility on the part of our Lord and Savior, but there is in this foot washing a marvelous significance for all who believe. But at first, the significance of this foot washing, that the foot, the significance of the speech, really, that came through the foot washing to Jesus' disciples, fell on deaf ears. There's little question but that this conduct of Jesus must have amazed his disciples and likely filled their consciences with shame. After all, he's their Lord and Master. 
They're the ones that should be serving him. And they knew that. And he's washing their feet. He's on a throne. King of kings. And he's stooping down and washing their filthy feet. And though he said nothing, they couldn't help but feel a rebuke of their worldly ambition and covetousness for power. Feelings of reverence and shame kept them silent. And probably with great reluctance, they let Jesus wash their feet. But when Jesus came to Peter, that disciple with the reputation of being impetuous and quick of tongue, showed himself especially provoked. I don't doubt that Peter himself was humbled by this action because he knew full well that he too stood condemned for his earthly ambition and the argumentation in which he had been involved with his fellow disciples. But to see the Christ, the Son of the living God, the same one whom he had seen on Mount Tabor, shining with more glory than the created light, and receiving the praise of Jehovah, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, to see that Lord bending at his feet like a common slave, That was more than Peter could handle. Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And it's possible to put the emphasis on any one of those words. Lord, the Lord of glory, you're going to wash my feet, my filthy feet? Should I, a poor fisherman, a a sinner, Allow thee to wash my feet? You know, at first sight, we might be impressed with Peter's humility. It was a false humility. It was a humility by appearance that really sprung from a combination, a strange mixture of ignorance and love for Christ and sinful pride. And Jesus would expose Peter's error and his sin. The heart is deceitful above all things. Even the sinful heart of the regenerated man, which Peter already was. Peter, for all his humility, wanted nothing to do with the way Christ set before him. His humility was a false humility because Peter would honor the Lord only according to his own way of thinking and doing. True humility submits to Christ's way. False humility says, be it far from thee, Lord. 
true humility says, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Here am I. Do with me what seems good in thy sight. But in pride, we consider our way more intelligent than God's way. Often. Is it not more humbling to quell all your thoughts and set aside your own wisdom to be still and know that he is God? And that whether you understand it or not, he does all things well? Jesus responds to Peter's question with the answer, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Should that not be enough for us? Often, we don't know or understand God's ways with us. Often. We sometimes ask why, can find no answer. But is it not enough for us to say, to hear him say, but you shall know hereafter? Jesus calls for Peter to exercise his faith and to have confidence in the wisdom of his Lord. The marvelous significance of this event, Peter, you don't know now, but you shall know hereafter. I speak of your salvation. I call you to this as your obedience, even though all my reasons are currently hidden from you, even though you perceive no wisdom in what I am doing, you shall give unquestioning obedience to my will. But Peter isn't to be reasoned with. Scorning the words of Jesus as if they were the mere words of a man, he says with vehemence and finality, Thou shalt never wash my feet, Lord, Now don't get too caught up in the character of Peter because you and I do the same thing. Whenever we turn our backs on the words and admonitions of Christ and and scorn his way with us, call him to give account, and so through his faithful servants Christ plainly speaks to us as he spoke plainly with Peter. The matter of your own sins and mine must be brought directly before us as to the consequences of them. To say to Jesus, thou shalt not wash my feet, is to say in bold defiance, Thou shalt not cleanse me from my sins by thy blood. 
So Christ said, If I wash thee not, you have no part with me. That put Peter on his heels. Here's the marvelous significance of Christ's amazing humility as seen in the foot washing. Our salvation depends upon the act of Christ's amazing humility as pictured here in the foot washing. For us to have fellowship with the Holy One, we must be cleansed. We who are naturally unholy must be made holy. And that holiness comes not in our way and not in our doing, comes in Christ's way. God would bring his children to repentance and to the humble submission to his word. So Christ explains the peril to Peter. The peril involved in the refusal to submit to the way of Christ. The same state of mind or imagination which would lead Peter to reject this amazing humility of his Savior in washing his feet and to reject it on the ground that he can have nothing to do with Christ being subject to such humility would lead him to reject the more profound humiliation that was yet to come. The cross and Christ's death. Our fellowship with Christ must be a willing fellowship. Our submission to our king, a willing submission. And thanks be to God's powerful grace upon this word, Peter immediately was brought to his spiritual senses. Even if he didn't understand it. Peter's apprehensions We're not clear, but his love for Christ was fervent. He was a child of God, and he was ready to submit to anything rather than to be excluded from having a part in Christ and his salvation. Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. But Jesus said, verses 10 and 11, He that is washed needeth not not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore, said he, ye are not all clean. Jesus, taking into account the customs of that day, said in essence, the one who has gone straight from the bathtub to the banquet house, might have dirtied his sandaled feet in walking. But that's all. He needs only to wash his feet. And so it was with Peter and with all who believe. Peter was a man filled with grace and holiness. He was a child of God. Jesus isn't calling upon Peter to do something in order to be saved. He's telling them this is what you do as a child of God. 
he had been renewed in the spirit of his mind, born again, justified and sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that's the state of everyone who believes, who has seen and confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners. Christ cleanses his people. He does that as teacher and Lord. By promise for Peter and the disciples, presently in the way of the cross, he emerges from the horrors of hell as Lord over all. But he's still our servant. You and I still walk in a polluted world. And we are constantly contaminating ourselves, constantly in need of being washed by our Savior. Let's embrace, therefore, the ministry of our Lord and the marvelous significance of our cleansing in him. Suffer him daily to wash you in the fountain of his purifying work. For in that way, you shall also experience the blessedness of his love. That true love which finds that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Having washed the feet of his disciples, Jesus drives home to their hearts a lesson contained in his act that of the profound example he leaves for them. Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. People of God, today's world, today's church world generally, makes Christ a mere example and nothing more. They don't have a biblical support for that position, not even in this text. Because even here, he shows himself as our example, as Lord and Master, and he's motivated by his infallible love toward those sheep whom God had given him. Consider again the introductory context of verse 1. When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of the world unto his Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He wasn't merely there to show them an example, such as the owner of a a company might tell one of his employees Let this new employee tail you for a week and show him by example what all he has to do. Christ's purpose was not merely to show them by example how they ought to live among each other. The motivation of his example was love. 
Love which would stop at nothing short of emptying itself to fill its objects with an unshakable confidence and overflowing comfort. Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. He contemplated the state of his disciples, who should be left in this world without the consolation of his bodily presence with them, And let's take the application a little farther, for surely this word was preserved for you and for me. He saw them and us exposed to all the evils of this world's principles and practices. He saw the temptations they and we would face. And He saw that they and we struggle with the inclination toward worldly ambition and worldly pride and worldly things. The inclination toward self-seeking. And if that inclination is not removed, but it grows... It becomes the source of all divisions and strifes. And with that contemplation and having loved his own which were in the world, Jesus purposed to leave them with the remembrance of the last instructive act by which he put a close to his fellowship with them before going to the cross. An act of inexpressible lowliness, amazing humility, an act of self-denial which they should practice among themselves. They would be left with the example of how to build up one another and care for one another and seek for one another's spiritual welfare. He gave us a profound example to the end of that Happy are you if you do these things. Jesus speaks to our understanding. Here's the application of the gospel to the hearts of those who love him and who are his disciples. And the point here is not merely that in the literal sense they must make it a practice to wash one another's feet. Jesus refers here to the more profound and lowly spiritual service of love. It's the service of restoring one who's been overtaken by a particular sin. It's the service of of considering one another and encouraging one another to love and to good works. It's the service of warning and admonishing one who's walking in sin, who's forsaking the ways of God and the people of God. It is serving by comforting the one who's downcast, strengthening the feeble-minded, supporting the weak, praying one for another. 
It is to use the language of the Apostle Paul, working for the perfection one of another and the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And then we do so not as lords, but as servants. It's possible for one to render this kind of service outwardly, but doing so for his own advantage, his own motivation. But such isn't following the example of Christ. Rather, Such a person is placing himself as Lord over Christ. The proud, wicked man will give you service, but not as the servant of Christ and his body. He will wash the feet of others, but he will be washed by no one. Because he says, I have no sin. I'm good. Fine, just the way I am. He would strengthen others without being strengthened himself. He would be a refreshing fountain to others without first drinking the water of life himself. We must be servants of Christ. Also in our service of one another because only he is Lord. He has washed us, cleansed us with his precious blood. He has reclaimed us from death by his powerful word. He rules us by his spirit. And he says the servant is not greater than his Lord. The exalted Christ doesn't need our service. He doesn't say to us, wash my feet. He's the one in whom all fullness dwells. No, he doesn't need our service. We need him. We need the assurance of his presence, his blessedness, because Christ is all our blessedness. And he is such in his own appointed way. He says unto us, wash one another's feet. And he assures us that inasmuch as we have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Happy are you if you do these things, he says. You believe that? We sometimes suppose that we should be happy if all men serve us. Do what we want. Christ would teach us otherwise. More conducive to our own happiness would it be if our hearts were more like his, full of love to all our brethren. More conducive to our own happiness would it be if our hands were more like his, ready to perform for our brothers' and sisters' welfare, even the most lowly task to the glory of God the Father. For with such an attitude and by such activity, 
we would have the consciousness of Christ being at work in us. We often make ourselves unhappy by thinking that we're not treated with the kindness and love that we think is our due. But if we should really be happy, we must think more of others and less of ourselves. More of Christ and less of ourselves. Think of that love of Christ that he has expressed to us in his own humiliation, in the unspeakable gift of laying down his own life, true happiness is found in self-sacrificing love which makes the bosom of Jesus its constant dwelling place. If in this respect we are conformed to the likeness of Christ, beloved, we shall have in us and in our congregation a well of living water springing up into everlasting life. That's the promise of Jesus. That's the power of the gospel of his amazing obedience and humility. And the servant surely is not greater than his Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before thy word. We confess our sins before thee, the sins of our pride and self-seeking. Sanctify us, give us to live in the consciousness of what Christ has done for us. In humbling himself even to the death of the cross, to reconcile us unto thee and to give us to hear thee say to us, thou art my children. And abide with us in the week that lies before us that we might honor and glorify thy name for Jesus' sake, amen.